I miss a green, for example, I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie, I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today I'm joined by Jeff Shackelford, contributing uh, writer for Golf Week and also a Golf Channel analyst, I guess you would say. Jeff, how's it going? Good. How are you, Andy? I hope that interview or that uh, introduction served you well, you know. That, that, that did the job. <laughs> Big week on the PGA Tour with the byron nelson heading to trinity forest i think you and i are in the same boat with our affinity for minimalist golf design uh wanted to see what your thoughts were on the golf course tournament and uh all things else uh t byron well the golf course was sensational and and you know uh you and i sat next to each other in the press center there and argued and they probably the guy in front of us only turned around like four times um and and gave us a look um i don't know if that was our swearing or if that was our bickering but um it was a huge week for the school of golf course design that that uh that i've subscribed to uh and you do and and have practiced a little bit too um and so I was very nervous knowing what I had seen going into the, the tournament and not seeing anything that made me feel like, oh, boy, they're going to love this course. I just didn't see the, the visuals. Well, once you got on the ground, um, it's just not a course that is going to photograph that well um, to most people. And, and gosh, when I, I, I'm still thinking about some of the holes and the greens, and it just – is the uh i think it it, it, it it a case can be made it's the best thing that design that ben and bill and the boys have done with, with a site that that uh didn't give them a lot and uh it's their i'd say their boldest in terms of greens and strategy and uh i just everything about it, it really blew me away i mean there's only one hole i'm kind of iffy on that I'd like to hit some shots too, but just watching play, I didn't think maybe quite worked. Uh, but other than that, I thought every hole had something special, different, interesting. It um, had different ways to play. It looked like based on different hole locations and different wins. So uh, that said, you know, I know how you feel. The golf course uh, should have been firmer and faster, and it probably should have been, but. I, I just I've seen enough of uh, the Chambers Bays of the world to know that this could have really backfired, and uh, we can get into uh, I think how Aaron Wise validated the design despite the softness. But to me, they had to do with what they did, and it was it was it was very successful from the tournament and golf point of view. I don't know about the spectator side, but certainly from the architecture and PJ Tour side, I thought it was a home run. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Am I crazy or is it crazy that the world's best players came to a golf course and played it 
slower than regular members see it day in day out uh it's a little crazy but uh but i think we just have too many examples in recent years of setup being a little too shocking for a golf tournament or uh pay you know remember their pace of play issues with the with tour golf and i just think that they had to err on the side of of that of greener old greener softer to prevent um the players saying well that was a freak show we're never going back um and so that was why i thought it was the right move and I think they were a little nervous about some of the wind that was in the forecast. Some of it materialized one day and another day it didn't. And, uh, and then the rain, of course, um, I, I mean, how many times did we hear the no rain this week? <laughs> and uh, that, that happened on Sunday, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it's very unusual. And, uh, I think next year the course will be allowed to be mown a little bit tighter than it was this year. Uh, would be my guess now that the setup staff knows what, what what how things function and speed pace of play how it functions and where there are backups and what holes played maybe a little too easy because they were uh, the ball wasn't running out um, but other than that I, I think it was the right move they were very nervous about this venue on a lot of fronts you just can't underestimate how much uh, AT&T is an important part of the PGA Tour and not wanting to uh, have them have some sort of an embarrassment, I think was really uh, at, at the forefront of their minds. And, and I understand that. A lot of uh, golf fans are kind of obsessed with this concept of score to par. So yeah, yeah. The, the people in that school of thought kind of look at the tournament and say, they lit it up. What would be your response to them defending, you know, kind of in defense of Trinity Forest as a a test of the world's best? Well, one, no player left there, I guarantee you, Sunday night and said, well, <clears throat> that was a waste of a week. That was too easy. Um, I was I I just didn't I don't feel tested. I'm not coming back. Um, if you could see the golf course in person, you know that, yes, they scored well but they earned it. Uh, it required a lot of thought, a lot of precision and, and creativity at times. I mean, how fun was it yesterday to watch Aaron wise, just putting on this unbelievable ball striking and putting display. But then there was, there was Brandon grace and there were Mark Leishman playing a little bit more like veterans. And, and I mean, Leishman had a four iron around a green he used and, and also using some ingenuity and, and there was a little more shot shaping. And so there were multiple ways to play the course and multiple people played it very well, but the numbers are staggering from, from wise, the shot link people sent out something this morning. And I finally got to, I was kind of hoping to get it last night and I, and it just is astounding that he, his, uh, his 91.67% uh, on, on greens and regulation is the, uh, the highest uh, four-round stroke play uh, number by a winner uh, since 1997. So, that I mean, that's just an astounding number. I know the greens are big, and I know he's hitting iron off a bunch of tees because he hits it so bloody far. But um, it's just still, uh, you know, it was so impressive watching him down the stretch. You just kept waiting for him to, to, 
to crack a little. And every time he, he, he kind of – that last night he had a couple of shots he didn't like and was, he missed them in the right spot. And so you have to just admire that so much that not only – was he so consistent? But then when he did miss, he missed on the the right spot and the wrong uh, avoided the the <clears throat> short siding himself or whatever you want to call it, putting himself in the wrong place. And uh, for a twenty one year old, that is just uh, that's just so impressive. So I I would say that ultimately the players will walk away um, having been having been sort of uh, entertained by the course. I don't know if it if it fit because of the setup. What Jeff Ogilvy said to us there in the press conference earlier in the week that 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 players will want to come there because it'll make them a better golfer. I I think that um, uh, it, when it gets ratcheted up, you know, a little bit and and, and the setup that that uh, um, forecast of his will will come true. But certainly nobody left there uh, feeling cheated. <laughs> I've yeah, I actually I've never heard of have you ever heard of a player uh leaving a tournament saying, Well, they're not coming back because it was too easy? I've never I've never heard that myself. I, I mean maybe I've heard of players say I, I don't go to that tournament because I, I, I can't shoot twenty five under. Kuchar, but I've never heard Kucher might not that. be back. Well, he may not be back, but that's okay. Um he'll he's got he plays every other week anyway, so um <laughs> But other than that, yeah, nobody nobody spoke up. I don't know if there was some other report. Was there somebody else besides Kucher? Because Jordan Spieth in his final round press conference noted twice, kind of took a little jab at the media, sort of about reporting. And make sure you report that a certain way. It was kind of an odd ultimatum. And I'm guessing he read somebody being critical or somebody's comments taken a certain way, and and they they had said something the opposite to him in person. It might have been Kucher. I don't know. I, and I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm a little shocked that Kucher said what he said, because he's somebody who goes to the Scottish Open and loves this kind of golf, and uh, maybe he just loved the Four Seasons there. I don't know. But he he it seemed it's it surprised me of all people that he spoke said that. <laughs> That it shocked me. I I picked Kucher in my like one and done leagues because I'm like I you know walk. I th- said this to you. I was walking around the golf course. God, this place is perfect for Kucher. Yeah, you, you know, did. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it. I think one of the things with the with the rain that happened was that the rain and the softer conditions made it more of a bomber's paradise on on Sunday, as you know sure. you would expect with wide fairways and soft conditions. I think Adam Scott said it in his in his uh, post round interview with uh, Amanda Balionis, it's like, she was like, well, and, and he was like, well, it's, I mean, 90 yard fairways and soft conditions and nobody's going to really make a big number. I think on Saturday it was just so fascinating because you had wise and you had Leishman, but then you also had Kevin Na and Brian Gay, you know, yeah. Bri- Brian yeah. Gay competing with wise. Who's one of the longest players on tour. Like you don't get to see that very often. And I think with golf, we fall into this trap in the social media era of golf that everybody becomes obsessed with these 400 yard drives. But like if everybody hits it 400 yards, it's not nearly as interesting as watching Aaron Wise hit it 360 yards and Brian Gay hitting it 280 competing at at an equal level. Yeah. Yeah. No, the variety was incredible. And I think that just speaks to the, that has to be a statement about the architecture. There's just no other way to put it. Um, 
I was, I was amazed of course, as I always am, how far they were hitting it. And, um, uh, you know, they were getting good run on the ball. Of course, uh, certain CBS broadcasters had to note that, uh, note the role because of course it's not the players who hit the ball a long way. Well, it's a Lynx golf course. So 50 yards of roll should, should not be a shock. It's, um, it's not that the ball, happens. the ball isn't spinning because it's everything's yeah. just perfectly optimized so, to generate uh, 50 yards of roll. But yeah, it was it was it was uh, really interesting to look at some of the names and look at the people who played well. And uh, but that last day, the scoring was kind of astonishing. I mean, to see some people shoot sixty nine and, and get passed um, by a lot of people <clears throat> just suggests that they saved some some pretty simple hole locations. And then obviously the rain just uh, did render the course pretty defenseless. But the ball was rolling out pretty nice. I mean, I watched every minute of it up to the end, and and the the ball was still running in the fairways nicely after the the rain delay. Yeah, I think where the fire wasn't, I was even a little disappointed on Saturday. You have this hot and windy day, and and having played the golf course, spent a ton of time on it in November. I I watching guys spin back wedge shots, like yeah, downwind. It, it you know that's where to me the the PGA Tour and it got a little soft. Yeah, I think though we discussed this, and I I uh, I don't want to go down an equipment rat hole, but I I um, my my biggest takeaway from watching tour golf this year and and walking out on a couple of greens is just how much the guys are able to control the ball to firm greens. Those greens at Sawgrass, Andy were were I was out. And I actually got to hit some putts. I went out with the guys doing setup on Saturday and a little bit on Sunday. And I dropped a putter, you know, just gently to kind of, and the, the thump sound was like, wow, these things have got nice firmness to them. And then you go and watch the telecast and you see the way they spin the ball. And uh, I saw it at Riviera this year. I was just, just floored by how much spin guys could put the, on the ball out of what was very light rough, but two greens that were, if the average golfer tried to play a shot to them, they, they'd they'd probably be running the ball right through the green. And so I, I don't want to say that the grooves are uh, needing to be looked at, but it is, it is really hard to set up a golf course now with as much spin as the players put on their approaches. And then you, I mean, the fairways at Sawgrass were incredible. These fairways were, were very good. Although, as you noted, they, they would have been amazing, uh, just cut just a bit tighter and the amount of spin guys can put on the ball with a, with a tight lie, um, I, I think it also speaks to how much that fairway, that longer fairway grass at Augusta probably impacts things because the guys don't seem to quite spin the ball as much, uh, when they, when they land the ball in the green there from the fairway. But, um, so anyway, I, 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 what, 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 yes, what, what goes for a firm green on the tour, uh, is actually rather soft for them, but for the rest of us, uh, it would it, we'd, we'd be pretty shocked at how firm some of them are these days. Since everybody agrees that the game's changed, whether whichever side of the distance debate you're on, everybody says, "Well, the game's changed." Why is it that our society still holds on to par as the same number? Yeah, it's it's been something that uh, is always a. Uh, an issue in this discussion. Um, and it's just, it's hard to, it's hard for people, I guess, to kind of go a little bit deeper 
And thankfully we have more stats now that I, and I think just more people have come to realize there's, it's not sacred. I think I wrote uh, at least one chapter in my uh, future golf book about this, which is now 15 years ago, but <clears throat> this absurd sanctity of par nonsense. Um, it's just, it, there's just so much more to looking at a golf tournament and a, and a golf hole and the way a course plays than how it plays to par as we saw this week, just with the, with the change in weather and wind. And, and it's so boring too. I, I who cares if, if par is protected uh, it's more about, did you sense that, that uh, the, the best players were able to play shots and be rewarded for them. And if they make birdies, they make birdies. And they, of course, the other thing that makes it all so ridiculous uh, is that conditioning is, has never been better I mean, the, the golf course conditioning this year at every tournament I have been to uh, has just been astounding how good it is. And uh, you give good players the kind of uh, green smoothness and fairway lies and even bunker lies uh, that they're getting. And you just, you're not, you can't protect par. Give it up. It's stupid. Uh, it, it, and that, that just does not get, factored in enough uh how much conditioning allows players to score and um and frees them up to worry about other stuff uh or or uh to put another way it 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 doesn't distract them uh the way it used to when you used to get more spike marks and and bumpy poa greens and i mean they still say the poa is bumpy and and i guess it is compared to some of the grasses but they don't know bumpy poa on the pga tour anymore i mean it is a it is a beautiful beautiful poa strain that they get to face so yeah par is uh that's it's a it's a silly thing and it's funny all the people who who like to mention that scoring hasn't changed and defending the distance argument were very quiet around the players uh other than to say wow look a guy who doesn't hit a very far one but otherwise they torched that place mm -hmm. and and i'm telling you the greens were not soft <laughs> they were firm they just they but they had perfect fairways and and perfect conditions to clip a ball off of and and control the ball yeah i i i can't think this is the steroid era of golf and you know if you compare it to the steroid era of baseball you know not players are not taking steroids just to be very clear i'm talking yeah, about the equipment yeah. <laughs> um but if you compare it to the steroid era of baseball all of a sudden games got unbelievably long and record long standing records were just being shattered left and right and if you look at golf right now like the rounds are getting uh, egregiously long and, you know, scoring records are falling left and right. And you're seeing more and more young players that you're losing the variety in the game. And yeah. I think like that's the, the core of the problem is that if you look at baseball during the steroid era, it became so power oriented. Everybody was just trying to play. The strategy of the game changed where people were just waiting for home runs. Take the steroids away and all of a sudden you're seeing the baseball that everybody loves with like hit and runs, you know, they're, they're stealing bases. Like pitchers are all of a sudden, like, you know, you don't have to be just a power pitcher. Like it, the games are shorter now. Also, like the game got better by taking the steroids away, even though everybody believed in this chicks dig the long ball. And I feel like golf's right. in the exact same place right now. 
Uh, it most certainly is. And uh, it's been obviously evolving this way. And that's why last week was a nice reminder, uh, as you noted, all, the variety on the leaderboard, the golf course did. Um, it didn't discriminate against the long hitter, but it also allowed some people who, who play a little bit different kind of game to contend. And, and was I, I thought that was a great thing. Um, but I sense that we're probably in the minority on that. Um, certainly the PGA Tour's position now is to promote distance and they're going to resist any effort to do anything about it. Um, despite the fact that it's, it's, as you know, I mean, the pace of play is thing is just astonishing. Riviera this year had no rough and beautiful weather and, and they could not break 520 in a, as a threesome. Uh, Trinity Forest, no rough, perfect condition, uh, mild weather, and uh, for the most part, and they they also could not really break that barrier until Sunday when they needed to finish. And although Kevin Na really tried to, <laughs> he really tried to send it into Monday there, but they, uh, uh, oh, and by the way, they're all shooting 65. They're making everything and taking as few shots as possible yesterday. And they just barely finished uh, in that window they had, which was really tight. And so it's really fascinating. I mean, I talked to some players uh, last week. We just kind of had an accidental 45 minutes together in a, in a van while a thunderstorm passed. And, um, they asked my, they didn't know that I'd like written a whole book about this and obsessed about the topic. So I, I preface some of my comments, but they asked about the bifurcation concept and, and I started taking them through Riviera and the number of playing opportunities that will be lost there when they reduce the field because you can't finish the first two rounds and it just doesn't work that time of year with a 144 player field. And, you know, when they finally hear that 24 playing spots are going to go away at a great golf course like that, they start to get some understanding. And, and, um, so I don't know where it's going to go, but the tour certainly, uh, thinks that people tune in to watch long hitting. And, and of course they don't, they, they, they love to watch players control the ball, spin the ball. I mean, that was the only thing I felt deprived of a little bit this week at Trinity Forest was, and I think you did too. Uh, we want to see more balls land and feed. I mean, Zach Blair shot on uh, Sunday uh, on 17 where he, he took the, the flag out and he, and he uh, chipped it way up the slope uh, and, and then brought it back after he did his tee shot long. It was so cool. I thought we'd see a little bit more of that. And I think the, the, the softness and the, the slowing down of the course deprived us of, of a few more of those moments, right? Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I think Leishman hit that low chaser on Saturday into the 18th where, you know, it was a backish pin and he hit, you know, a flighted six iron in there that landed yeah. on the front edge and ran right back there. And he was one of like, you know, six or seven players that got the ball within 12 feet because he hit the proper shot. And I yeah. think that's something that sticks with me always with, uh, I had a conversation about a year ago with Jeff Ogilvie and he said, you know, the biggest crime to golf fans is the fact that they don't get to see Rory McIlroy hit all of the shots that he's capable of because the golf courses don't ask them of him. No. So he doesn't practice them. Nope. And, uh, you know, we saw with Bubba this year at Riviera, people were ooing and aahing, watching the ball move in the air. Um, 
and you just go to you go to any golf tournament and you just don't hear ooing and aahing on a tee shot you, you maybe if somebody drives a green on a short par four but otherwise you hear it when you see spin you see you know when fans recognize that somebody hits a recovery shot uh that's really good um or when they when they um when they land a ball and feed it it's just so much more fun to watch and so that's something that we do get deprived of too much and and we got it a little bit this week and we got it obviously like normal at augusta and and people respond to it there so you know it's one of those things where if i were commissioner uh, for a day i would commission a focus group to to kind of look at all that stuff and i think you'd find that if you you ask people to watch shots and what they respond to most that uh that the people who are uh, really living under par are, are, are loving the, uh, the, the, the stuff around the greens that goes on where these guys show they're on another level, even maybe on another level from, from really good amateur golfers, even, you know, we're, we're just the stuff they can do with, uh, controlling the ball. You know, the, the idea of par threes or par threes are generally the most photographed and the most, you know, popular hole for the regular golfer because it levels the playing field. Anybody on a par three can, any golfer could hit a better shot than Tiger Woods in his prime on a par three. If, you know, if the probability is right. And I think something with that is like a regular golfer watching Dustin Johnson hit it 380 yards. That's not relatable. No, that's not a shot they ever think about ever see themselves hitting but watching Dustin Johnson hit a shot from around the green all of a sudden that becomes much more relatable and it's more like the game they play yeah and it's something they can actually tangibly take and try you know like the shot Zach Blair hit is something that if somebody's playing an interesting golf course could all of a sudden look at the backside of a contour and say hey I'm going to try and hit it away from the flag to get it close to the flag as a, and, and that's so cool is that that is a relatable shot. And that's why it's, I mean, I think about it all the time is if you go back say 15 years and look at the 10 greatest shots of the last decade from let's just say 2000 to 1985, how many of them would be drives? or missile straight iron shots close to flags like maybe one i was trying to think of one and uh, the only one i first came to mind was andrew mcgee driving and making the the, uh the albatross at uh tpc scottsdale but we don't have video of that so Mm -hmm. yeah i'm I'm, i'll I'll think of one i'm sure there's one ricky fowler well no that one they always show the ones on 17 at, at the players but really the one he hit the drives he hit on 18 were the ones that were so impressive but again yeah no i can't so, think of any so, at the moment but if you look think about the recent time like one of the things that would stick in my mind as one of the most famous shots is dustin johnson hitting a dead straight laser tee shot on 18 at oakmont and a laser iron shot balls that didn't move an inch you know and if you think back like i always think about tigers like cut six iron at the Canadian open or tigers, you know, that shot he hit at Olympia fields where he bended it like, uh, you know, 50 yards left to right out of the rough. And those shots just don't exist anymore. No, no, they, uh, they don't very often. And, 
Uh, but when they do, people love it and they talk about it. So it's just uh, it's imperative that people uh, in charge of the sport. I mean, that's what uh, I guess where I scratch my head is is you'd think they would study these things and and know what viewers respond to. I, I mean, look at Tracer. Look, look, there's a reason Tracer has become uh, popular and demanded by the viewer. Part of it is to have instant feedback. Part of it is it just looks cool. If you're sitting around in a where it's going, and then when you see a player move the ball, either in a in a bad way or a good way, it's it's sort of it's 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 just visually it's interesting, and it gets your attention. Um, so the 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 signs are there, but the the concern is that the uh, the people in charge think that you know it's just all the usual stuff that uh, young young people. Uh, want to see these guys be athletes and respond to distance and on and on. And, and, um, I just don't think that logically, uh, that case can be validated. I mean, I'd love to see the numbers if they did some study on this, but, um, we're impressed with somebody's stats, but we're not really uh, visually. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything for us, uh, when we're watching. Yeah. I, I also think like setup wise, like firm and fast, is so so important. I, I I think about last year, like two of the the best maintained venues, like they stick out in my mind. Like I don't like TPC Potomac from an architecture standpoint, but that tournament last year was so crispy, so firm and fast yeah. that it was it was fascinating. But what it does is it when it's firm and fast, it brings variety into the game. It it devalues the driver which sounds so counterintuitive but it's like golf like with anything the when the ball rolls that that brings more players into the mix than just the power hitters because it decreases their margin for error sure and that's what will will hopefully be on display at Shinnecock Hills in a few weeks I don't I don't know it's so weather dependent and it's it's been a rough year but um I'm about to start going through for, for golf week to do 10 players to watch. And it's kind of a tough one when you don't have, uh, when, when most of the field has never been there, but you, you kind of have to assume that they'll try to get it that way. Like the, the year Corey Pavin won, uh, it, it got to that point. Uh, it also got to that point in 2004, but it went too far. And, and by the way, that's one thing I've been, uh, and not to, to, to go off into that, but you know, Shinnecock people are, are kind of fascinated by the widening, and the numbers versus last time and how could they possibly be wider, even though they just narrowed it and this, that was like, you have to remember they're just like with Aaron Hills, they're, they're expecting win and, and getting it really firm and fast. And they're accounting for that. And guess what? Sometimes that doesn't, those two things don't happen. And so when, isn't it better though, to err on the side of, of players being able to attack and they, they just, when the weather's down or the, the firmness doesn't happen, they score and, and they're still playing a very hard golf course. I, I just don't understand the idea of, of uh, people not quite understanding that you just, it's very hard to get it all dialed in. Uh, and obviously, especially when you have no control over the weather. <laughs> so sometimes it's just not going to be perfect. There are, there is an ideal and you have to account for the ideal with the width of the course. And they did that at Aaron Hills. It didn't happen. They're going to, they, they did, they really did it at Shinnecock and, uh, although now I've heard they're rewidening, so I had a couple spots. So I maybe we'll get some reports from the media day today on that. 
Yeah, it it sticks with me is what Jeff uh, Ogilvy said on that state of the game last week is you know the great golf holes um, are ones that a tour pro if they want to make a par can almost always make a par, but all of a sudden they get so hard when they try and make birdie. And mm. to to me that is like the core of golf is like if you want to play safe and make a par it's pretty simple for that tour pro but when they have to really get aggressive and and make that birdie that's when they bring 6 or 7 into play and that it, it's just such a simple concept yeah but it requires good design and it requires a setup that matches. And I know that's where your beef with, with Trinity was. I think it could have had exactly that last week. And, and um, they'll no, no doubt sit back and realize that as they, after they evaluate it. But I also think that, um, uh, you know, year one, they, they had to make sure they didn't, uh, they didn't mess that up and, and go too far the other way and then make uh, guys – watching go well that was goofy and we don't need to see that so, so um where that's, uh, that's why we have something to look forward to next year when they return to trinity forest where where would you rank uh trinity forest in your say pga regular pga tour stops mm. wow well i mean it's yeah, again i mean i'm the wrong person to ask and that i'm looking at pure design uh that's but that's an interesting question us. because pure design wise you know it, to me on the tour it's Pebble and Riviera are kind of in another area, another sphere, really. Um, Augusta, uh, to me, has been just too too mangled in too many spots to be, and even Riviera has been, and even Pebble has been. But if we're match playing holes and all that, uh, those two generally are always near the top. And, I mean, to me, Trinity Forest is already in the top, easily in the top five. I'm, I'm struggling to, th- I mean, I'm not a Harbor town fan, so you have to remember that I'm not one of those who thinks small greens and, um, trees overhanging and all that is just that, that great. Yeah. So, I mean, pure design wise, if we got into a match play tournament, I think Trinity forest would, would hold up really well. I mean, you just, and again, a lot of people sent, sent messages to uh, like, what, what, what are you talking? This course is just, I don't get it. And I'm just like, you just have to see it on the ground. CBS just didn't quite, capture but every hole has some twist to it and and so many interesting elements and and such beautiful construction and i think the thing there just there just wasn't a there is a a feeling of randomness to all the contours out there but then i just could tell early on that it's the kind of course and why spieth has has grown to love it as he's played it that there is meaning to all of the contours and that that they gave you elements to work shots off of to certain holes and you know to me the great random designs like that seemingly random actually have things that as a player you learn and you you can remember key features and you know when you hit it in the wrong side you're screwed and that kind of thing so it's it it just had a lot going on it's really sensational one of the best things that happened i think was that that delay let people see the front nine more so than they would have seen had it not been delayed on Sunday. But like the yeah. seventh, the seventh hole that par five is one of the most fun holes to watch guys hit second shots. It's reachable for every player in the field. And 
they, you know, uh, Bill and Ben leave that right side. There's 70 yards of short grass right of the green, just wide open. You can bail out right all day. And these guys started to figure out that that was dead over there, but they didn't yeah. want to take on that the the hazard line, which the greens press right up against. And you could just see them, the agony in their face when they watched their ball starting to go right because they just couldn't get it yeah. over to the left. Like, and you could just t- tell from their facial expressions, they're like, uh, there's no way I can make birdie from over there, you know, or I yeah. have to hit a miraculous shot to make birdie from over there. Yeah. And that is so great, uh, you know, from a design standpoint of, of forcing people into discomfort if they want to get the reward of a birdie. Well, especially with all the short grass and the width and, and, and yeah, you're right. As they went, they started to know the nuances of the design. And, um, Matt Jones almost made an incredible up and down, by the way, when he bailed out right there. Uh, that was an two. unbelievable chip shot. He um, but yeah, I, I, uh, and the other thing on that too, what I loved was there was, there was a great shot. It was probably accidental, but, um, uh, uh, of the players on eight green and you saw the players in seven in the distance, uh, right there kind of and both were watching each other again that was very that was just a cool little lynx like touch that was uh that was just there were just so many elements like that i thought were fascinating i i uh, uh eight never really quite played uh from what i get grasped uh to your point on the on the front nine coverage the way i was hoped because i wa- i saw so much of it pga tour live had seemed to have a lot of front nine coverage um and I don't know if that was just the the, the green softness, but it, it didn't quite. I I think they were pretty cautious with pins too. Yeah, like the the whole locations were left a little bit to be desired. Um, yeah. And tees, I I think it, they they moved so many tees up that golf course was playing about two three hundred yards shorter than it could. Um, Mm. and I think that, especially when you look at like 17, having that T like 20, 30 yards up kind of diminishes what was built with the contouring. Yeah. I think that was, that one's on speed. Uh, I think he, he kind of issued a statement there early in the week. I don't think he likes that hole at 200 yards. (laughs) Um, and, um, it sounded to me like he had, he had been, when they asked his thoughts, uh, that was probably, it sounded just, ba- yeah, just picking apart his comments. That sounded to me like the one, uh, I don't want to say ultimatum, but the one piece of input he gave them was that that hole just plays better to him in, in the 150 to 170 range. And I would agree with you. I, I, uh, it would have been fun to see one day them play 17 longer and see what happens, you know, maybe Sunday. It's a it's an epidemic of this soliciting player feedback for changes. Like, of course, well, they're especially since two hundred yards is a it's a seven or a six iron now. It seems like so. <laughs> Come on, guys, you can you can do it. You can hit a six iron. You, I know you can. You're really talented. Come on. I think I think there's like a George Lowe quote that's like you know it's the it's the job of equipment manufacturers and instructors to continue to make players better and figure things out. And then it's the job of the architect to combat this with, with um, thoughtful design. And that's a perfect example of it is like combat the high trajectory shot with contours that require a low running shot to get it close. 
Yeah, and and uh, I just I I was amazed how wigged out guys were by that hole, and I think that was also a product of just how little they practiced the the, the course and played. Um, well, first of all, there was there was so clearly last year the feedback, and Speed touched on this in his post round press conference yesterday. The feedback from the caddies on that caddy day was was awful. Um, and it was, the course was really firm and fast and it was, had the new green firmness. And obviously some of the veteran caddies understood that, that there's a different, there's firm. And then there's that new turf firmness where, where you just can't hold any kind of shot. And so some of them obviously uh, uh, took that into account, but that hole may have been the one that, that freaked them out the most from that word of mouth element. Um, but that said, uh, it's, it should have been one where they, they adjusted or ignored them. Um, I can't remember where were we going down? Which, what, which rattle hole were we about to go down on the equipment? <laughs> so, uh, what, uh, here, we'll change the subject. What, okay. <laughs> what, uh, did you feel? I feel, I mean, watching the CBS coverage, I, I just don't really think they did much to showcase the course. They talked a lot about options, but yeah, there, there wasn't anything that, I, I feel like they dropped the really dropped the ball when it comes to having an opportunity to inform and educate viewers about this different style of golf. And and I read, you know, you read replies to, you know, different big outlets, uh, tweets about the course being so cool. And you see so many people that are like, what? It looks like a yeah. cow pasture. So, yep. I mean, what would you have done if you were running the broadcast differently? Well, I mean, for starters, um, you had the plane, thank God, that started flying when CBS went on the air. So the, the, the PGA Tour Live and Golf Channel coverage literally was like watching a golf tournament from about 30 years ago. I mean, just, just ground camera shots. Um, I still don't even remember seeing a shot from that crane camera they had out there, um, which would have been really nice to see more of, especially you had so many spots on on the course where you had intersections where where that where that should have been more useful. I mean, give us a shot uh, of 17, a speed shot, uh, what Tommy Roy calls it for NBC, of of that ball flying and then landing if somebody was landing it short of the part three green. But, for instance, I mean, it's how hard is it? You have the airplane, okay, and I know it's moving at, at a decent clip, but you can pause above the third hole. Uh, you, can, you can freeze a shot that that if you can't if you don't want to use the the, uh, the digital graphics just give us an aerial view of the third hole and use a telestrator to say okay when the pin's over here in the back right you do want to drive it past this fairway bunker to get the better angle in um and and uh, zach blair and, and joel domin are having a nice little um a friendly back and forth on that right now on twitter but show that strategy use the telestrator to say okay saturday today's pin you know, you've got to get a pass this bunker. So far this week, everybody's just automatically laid up. Give us just the basic strategy there. Give us some sense of some of the things you're talking about with um, the fifth hole or uh, on the back nine. I mean, 14, there were so many little elements they could have pointed out. Um, 18 with the Telestrator. I don't even know if there was a Telestrator on the property. Uh, it, it just, it was, it was, um, it was, Fox would have done a great job. They're the ones who've been the most interested in golf course design of just getting a few camera views, maybe up behind a tee a little bit and getting up 20 yards or 20 feet in the air. 
just to give us that better sense of what the player is looking at. Um, but this was one that really needed either digital uh, uh, renderings of the greens or somebody, you know, like Johnny Miller does with a telestrator showing you just some basic, basic arrows and lines, uh, what, what the issues are. Cause the camera just flattened those contours out. I mean, people, you watch the 10th green on television and you had no concept no of, of how wicked that green is and what's going on there. And, and a couple little lines would, would, would give you that sense. Why was that the second hardest hole for the week? Well, you know, the best something. The best was on Saturday. Uh, I think Faldo said, well, he moves on to 10. That's not a nothing hole. It's just a 400 oh. yard hole. It's like, Oh my, like if you, if you walk that golf course, if you saw that golf course at all and understood like what that green, you know, how it was hitting a shot into that green. It's like, that is a terrifying golf shot. And, and I think like, I think back to like those, those Ogilvy videos that AT&T, the tournament. Those were great. Yeah. I mean, low production costs, like the yeah. thing costs nothing to do. And you know, if they would have just even shown one of just those. Play it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just play those. Yeah. It's going to and from commercial. You know, um, yeah. It's like, you know, it's a, they did a disservice to the tournament and the in the golf course and the way they covered the event. It's it's absolutely yeah. mind-blowing how, like, you know, you've got, this is your one job and you, you can't figure out at a very basic level, like, how can we, you know, I mean, that's the job of a telecast is to explain, feel like somebody sitting on their couch is there. Right. And... This was the one story at this tournament. It wasn't sure. the field, you know. No, no. In fact, it was a great way to to get away from uh, discussing that, <laughs> that that there were people who surfaced in the field that we didn't know still played professional golf. And um, it requires a little bit of planning. It requires caring about architecture. And as you know, um, it's always a fight to convince. Uh, uh, broadcasters that the course is is a big part of the story. Uh, Fox has embraced that more than NBC and CBS for sure. Um, and then it requires, I think, a lot of the announced crew uh, to to arrive er, early or <laughs> at some point and get out and watch some of the golf and and uh, bend uh, the ears of, of Bill and Ben. And, and I'm sure that they they did have discussions. But on the production side, you've got to kind of want to to make that venue a protagonist. And, you know, generally over and over again, they don't. And um, I, it's something that that uh, is perplexing to me. The, the feeling is just keep showing shots and showing somebody putting for par. I mean, watching Kevin not putt for, for par can take a minute and a half, and you could have shown one of those <laughs> Ogilvy videos in that time. And and the viewer would have been fascinated by it, and and they wouldn't have changed the channel. I guarantee you that. I think the you know I I've never looked at individual event uh, ratings, but my general feel is that the most popular tour stops year to year are are Riviera and the you know if you ask somebody to refer to the event in L.A., they usually say Riviera. Um, I would say another one is Sawgrass, which is architecturally interested. Pebble Beach, you know, like the yeah. best golf courses put on the best events also. Sure. They're they're old friends that we, we like to tune into and see how they've changed or not changed. And we recognize them. And 
Um, there's a comfort level there that, that, that certainly attracts people. And um, it's just like with baseball stadiums. You're just more prone to watch a game at Wrigley Field or Fenway Park or Yankee Stadium versus a game at uh, whatever the, the, the juice place is that, that the, uh, the Devil Rays play or the Rays play at. Or What about the Astro Stadium? Where Remember that when it came out, they had the hill and the, the flagpoles uh, in play? Don't, don't get me going on that <laughs> no, rinky-dink <laughs> pile of garbage park. That, that, that was where, like a, uh, a, a big water fall behind uh, the 18th green. Oh, well, they're uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, they have the train. Do the train still go? I think it does uh, when they hit a home run. I can't. I, I've tried. I try not to think about that. That that stupid park costs the Dodgers uh, a world championship, and I, I it just it just annoys the hell out of me. Well, they had the hill in center field. Yeah, they got rid of that. But that rinky-dink left field that you know it's a little pitching wedge out of there. And anyway, but yeah. So the point is though that that there's an ambiance and, and whether people recognize it or not, they just kind of know it. There's, there's certain places that are just uh, more interesting to watch and it really should be up to television to tell us a little bit more. I mean, that's another thing that's also lost is um, golf tournament telecasts used to have a little bit of a travelogue element, whether it was just blimp shots or Bob drum or some little featurettes that would kind of, show you what's going on in that town and dallas has a lot of interesting stuff going on golf wise but you know it's tough they've got a lot of bills to pay and promos to to uh to run and so all those things kind of chip away at at uh the ability to do some of these features too but uh still yeah this is a year where i mean at&t is a big sponsor and uh they 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 deserved i thought uh I thought they deserved better coverage. I'd say that, you know, I think you're in agreement that it was a success. And say say it opens the door to maybe some more interesting golf courses. What would be a few golf courses that you'd highlight that would be a feasible, you know, everybody always says, oh, Cypress Point. Like, that's not going to happen. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but a feasible golf courses, Ooh, feasible golf boy. courses that could host PGA Tour events around the country that are unique and offer different challenges from, you know, the monotonous rough line, tree line, water hazard, right. Uh, golf. We, we generally see. Do you have any nominations? Cause I'm, I'm struggling. I mean, it's just, there's so many elements that go into hosting a tour event <clears throat> space wise. And I mean, Trinity forest, frankly, is right on the edge of not space being yeah. capable. Um, so and, and and I you know I I haven't talked to fans. I got a couple of tweet responses saying you know the fan experience was a disaster, um, and, and I don't I, I I don't know the specifics if that was heat related or, or shuttle related. Um, so I do want to find that out. But it was right on the the edge of not being workable, in in a lot of different ways. And I thought they made parts of it work. But I mean, like I'm looking at. At, at a couple of lists right now and none of the, there, there aren't i'm not seeing any places that currently uh are are places that you'd love to see a tour event at not uh, i'm not seeing any of those being functional <laughs> um, so, mostly geographically i mean most yeah. of them are just in remote locations one that jumps to my mind and i don't know if the membership would ever 
want this or allow it? The answer is no. Oh, but go ahead. I could whenever you preface it that way. Well, <laughs> it, it it comes with Steph Curry looking at at doing a uh, event where he's the host. Cal Club. Cal Club. Yeah. You you know I I looked at Cal Club one time uh, some aerials and I think it's a great choice. It's a fall event. It'd be more of a boutique tour event. I think that's a great nomination. There's some space too. They got there. They there's got a couple a of schools bit. nearby, as I recall, which mm-hmm. helps. Um, that is close to the airport, possibly. And how cool would it be to see golf in San Francisco? That that's something that bugs me. Is that there's no regular tour event in Chicago or San Francisco? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, now, I mean, San Francisco is going to have a PGA Championship. Uh, does Chicago, does Chicago have a major? Nothing. On, wow, nothing on the schedule. That's amazing. Really, I mean, that's probably a story that <laughs> that's not, that that needs to be hammered home a little bit more. The playoff event, the Western Open, becoming this sort of scatterbrain, uh, rota thing, and then no majors. Uh, to go to one of the the arguably the best golf market in terms of at least support for tournaments in in my lifetime and certainly if you read the history going back the western open was such a vital event and when you think about all the other things going on the evan scholars and and just the public golf scene and uh the number of great clubs it's really astonishing what golf has done to that to that uh market how new york obsessed it got and and how it's just just dropped Chicago for I can't really even I don't even know the reason. Think <laughs> think about like think about some of the cities that don't have regular tour stops. You got Minneapolis, you've got Chicago, you've got Philadelphia, you have San Francisco, you have uh, I guess Cleveland's a that's a pretty crazed golf area. Like the yeah, mid, you know, yeah. you they've taken away all the you know. And then you've got you've got a world golf championship in Memphis, and I know that this was a business move, but yeah. the world golf championships to me is is maybe the the biggest failure in golf from providing like you know you only get the best players in the world together eight times a year, four of them at the majors, and then you know the other four you play at at now it'll be Firestone to TPC Southwind. You play Austin uh, Country Club, which it's a nice little course, but like I, I mean, you get the best players in the world together play premier golf courses. Well, and that that is an, a venue that gives you a, an example of some of the dilemmas involved with trying to find good venues for a tour event. I mean, Austin Country Club gets paid probably better than any venue on the tour to host, and and visually it looks great and it works for match play. So I have no beef with it. Um, but it does show you that there are some places where the, the, the members don't want it or they just, the place doesn't fit, uh, uh, for television or for spectators. And so there, there, it is tricky. Um, but you, now you did in the tourist defense, you reeled off some cities there where they are making an effort to try to get, there's, there's somebody who really wants to host a, a tour event in Minneapolis to convert that champions event. San Francisco clearly is a market that. I mean, the PGA of America's got two PGAs going there. The only two West Coast PGAs, by the way, in the next uh, 10 years on the schedule. And uh, they have um, this possible Steph Curry event. 
And you mentioned one other city I'm drawing a blank now on that has something in the works. Uh, oh, Philadelphia. I think there's definitely an interest uh, by various organizations. I mean, I think Arana Mink's going to get a PGA. Um, Philadelphia Cricket Club's going to get uh, more attention something, and more they, events. They're going to lose Boston, um, though, probably with uh, the Dell, right? They're going to lose what? I'm sorry. Boston. The Boston event? Uh, yeah, although I'm having, I'm having some, some, uh, I'm just sensing that there's going to be an effort to save that. I, I just don't think that, because if you, if you release a new tour schedule and not to, to go down the rat hole of markets, because most people probably could care less about the business side, but if you, if you go ahead with the schedule they're talking about, you say goodbye to Boston, you've turned New York and, or you turn New York into a rota that includes Boston every four years. So you kind of arguably you could make a case you've diluted that although there's so many majors in new york for the next eight years that it doesn't probably matter you've said basically goodbye to chicago um in this this new concept um that's just getting into some that's just just really not making sense and i just have a hard time visualizing the amount of money they've put into tpc boston jay monahan's ties there the success of that event um, at, at a place that's not even that well located theoretically and what that event has done in short time I just can't believe that that's one that they're going to be able to say goodbye to that easily and I kind of wonder if some of this stuff going on with the scheduling is uh, is also quietly related to that if a sponsor has, has stepped up even if that event went to a non-playoff event because of course most of us could care less uh, and 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 maybe finished and was played a, a week earlier in that that stretch between the playoffs and and the last and the Open Championship. I don't know. Just seems like that's a that's one that it'll be really odd to say goodbye to. Um, that's a that's a big golf area as well and a beautiful time of year. And so we'll see. I, I they have a lot of uh, tough questions right now to to deal with and not much time now. What's uh what's the latest with uh weather in New York uh this time of year for those PGAs the not only the Beth Page next year but uh how's Rochester looking these days Yeah actually Rochester had nicer weather last week than Beth Page um, I was I was monitoring uh several of the local or several of the sites I had them on my weather app and it wasn't very pretty for uh for future PGAs at a few places um but California California was super a little fog, if you don't mind the the May gray. But uh, yeah, yeah, Beth Page was uh, that was that was going to be a rough one. That was not going to be a pleasant uh, tournament. <laughs> and as the Preakness showed, uh, the Mid Atlantic wasn't real hot, and um, Kiowa had some some issues, and uh, on on down the list. So I I just I'm really curious to see how this May thing works, and uh, with only two West Coast venues in there. But I I'm. Wondering what will be worse, uh, St. Louis in August or or New York in May? Well, yeah, it just depends on what you like. Uh, but I certainly not looking forward to St. Louis in August. However, I, I think there's a good chance it'll finish on time. And I, I'm wondering about the May stops uh, finishing on Sundays, uh, as we just saw this this week. So, what are you you know looking ahead to here? We've got kind of a interesting stretch. We've got Colonial, we've got Memorial, we've got 
TPC Southwind. I personally, mm. I find the most <laughs> riveting. I don't thing, know how that's fit, but yes, go ahead. My most riveting thing is is Monday qualifying for the or, uh, sectional qualifying for the U.S. Open in this stretch. Yeah, if I had to list um any in, in the next month, what I'm most interested in, it's probably on uh, on U.S. Open qualifying. I'd say number two, the NCAA uh golf both the men and the women i just you know i love match play and i love uh the dynamics that go on there then i'd probably rank the memorial and then the colonial um and then i'd probably rank the uh the la city uh mid amateur ahead of the 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 tpc uh south wind week uh that just doesn't that just doesn't excite me much so but in terms of you know good competition or golf courses yeah i i think that the um I, I speaking of weather, I hope the NCAs get some good weather. It's kind of a tough time of year there too. And then obviously Shinnecock's just uh, utterly fascinating on every level, setup wise, architecturally. I'm anxious to see how it looks. With the, uh, I've only peered through the trees from the national a few years ago during the Walker Cup to see the tree removal. It looks great. Seventh green hasn't changed since 2004, so I'm anxious to see that. Um, so it's going to be great. And then, and then we have uh, right after that we've got we've got uh, the Scottish Open at Gullen, and the Open Championship at Carnoustie. So a couple of uh, really fun venues uh, on that front too. That's a, one of the things with the go back to the schedule that kind of boggles my mind is that you know the PGA Tour obviously they wanted to avoid the the NFL season, but yeah. You know, like the the European Tour kind of owns between the U.S. Open and Open Championship, and I think right. they still will. And then you just you just handed over the prime prime golf month in the in the country to yeah. them to own. Also, with the with the September on is going to be you know premier event after premier event at a great time of year to play golf. Yeah, over there and in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. so so that's a head scratcher to me. I think the from the big from the schedule changes. I think the European Tour is going to be the biggest winner. Uh, It it seems that way. Uh, The BMW PGA has just not been great in May, and it'll be phenomenal in September. I think. Um, you know, the question though is they 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 have to deliver eyeballs uh, for a sponsor to be happy, and the fall events just don't get great ratings the question i guess though that i would pose is is uh well one the nfl uh ratings are 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 dropping a little bit so sundays are a little more competitive for for a variety of reasons they're still ridiculously good but the other question that i have is you know that time of year is so great it looks great on tv um but nobody really ever toyed with the idea of of a tournament that that's played and finishes on a on a friday and i guess you know the the volunteer wise and and all that good stuff that it's just really hard to or a saturday to convince a sponsor to to play a tournament um tuesday through friday to avoid college football and and the nfl but i uh i also just uh, I, i'm of the belief that that september is tough and but but by by uh, October, the uh, before the days get too short, that by then people know what their football team's doing, and they might actually they've gotten over the euphoria of the first few games, and they might be more into watching 
playoff golf in October, but obviously that theory uh, was not subscribed to by the PGA Tour. And so, yeah, we're looking at all these compromises, changes, moves, designed all around this finish, and you you throw in the WGC events, and it's a nightmare. And, and I, I, you know, it's it's a mess, and you just have to wonder if all this is worth uh, making this whole playoff thing work. And obviously it is financially because the FedEx cup pays these guys a lot of money and the tour's job is to give them playing opportunities for money. So, yeah, it just seems like the, you know, with the consolidation, the events that get hurt the most are the non WGC non majors. Yeah. Yeah. No, if you took away the WGCs tomorrow, suddenly Houston probably gets a sponsor and you, you get, uh, events that have been weakened get stronger again. I mean, they've really just done, they are number one on my list of the problem. The, the playoffs, fine. I get it. Whatever. If that works, it, 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 it works maybe better format, but the WGCs have just, they're just, I mean, look, look what the Mexico city one does to the Florida swing and just taking away some players who would, who would play Florida events. Um, it's usually good for the event the week before um, or in the vicinity usually, but they're, they're, they're just dreadful. They're, I mean, the, the, this one, and uh, now they've got to find one, a spot for the one in, that, that's going to be in Memphis. And I don't see how there's, there's just no way it's going to be in the slot between the, the, uh, the open championship and the first playoff event. No one will play. I don't care how much, uh, uh, they they tell the guys that it's FedEx. They just won't. They're not going to play Memphis in August, so that one's going to move somewhere to a spot that's that's better for it. And there and then it'll it'll hurt some other events. Yeah. So they're just the, the WGCs, and then they're just just generally not uh, guaranteed to be great excitement. There've certainly been good ones, but then the small fields also mean that uh, that they're going to be some real duds. Uh, if you if you were gonna redesign, renovate, or uh, rest, restore one tour course, which one would you pick? You could completely blow it up if you really liked the land and, and build a so new the course. so it's an existing venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I mean I, I guess I, ha- I hate calling Pebble Beach a, a tour course, but to me it's the one that most screams out when you look at what it used to be. Uh, needing to be to be restored to kind of join the movement of what's gone on at uh, Wingfoot or uh, LA Country Club. I mean, go down the list of the places that have had the really great restorations, and where you just say, you know, National Golf Links, and I think now Shinnecock's probably in that that category, where you just look at it and you go, well, that's just that's just perfection. That that place is as good as it can possibly be. Um, it's just all, it's like a painting that was dusty and they've, they've just brought it all back. And Pebble's the one that, that stands out. I mean, Riviera, they've, they've made a mess of too, obviously, but Pebble's the one where it would just make an incredible statement. And, uh, but they have no incentive to, to, to do anything. It's just the, the financial cost of shutting it down for the period of time and, uh, the, you know, the be, economic impact on the, on the area would be it'd profound. Be, it'd be fascinating to see if, uh, if there was any data with like Pinehurst number two undergoing the restoration and 
you know, they shut down obviously, but before and after, and if it made a financial impact, because like I looked at Pinehurst number two and that's gotta be one of the most important restorations, maybe the most important restoration that, that golf's had in the last 30 years. Uh, yeah, I would say the difference there is their their play had really started to fall off because people would go there and say, well, why am I paying $400 to play someplace that looks like, other than the greens, looks like uh, a lot of other courses around. Uh, I, I, you know, there's nothing special here. Whereas Pebbles always had, no matter what, even in the, in the years when it wasn't in great shape, it, it's always had the setting and the history. And so it was able to... to to get by on that and then the lodge and the area and, and the lodge has generally been a great operation. So it's, it's been able to overcome things. Whereas I don't think Pinehurst was, it was, it had reached a point where it really couldn't overcome uh, those deficiencies. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, so I think, I, I, I mean, I'm just, I can't really think of any other golf course that quite screams out uh, the need for, for, uh, a full rejuvenation like Pebble Beach. Again, I mean, it's great. You, if you went there tomorrow and played, you'd have a blast. But when you know that what's kind of been lost in some of the holes and some of the nuances and the look, the visual, it it, uh, it, it could be amazing. All right, uh, let's get to overrated, underrated here. Um, Trackman. Uh underrated in every regard i think yeah I except agree. by players good players they know but um I, i've i've had the chat a few times recently with people on the distance topic or on the on the ball striking topic and and even people who who really know the game i'm not sure they've really delved into uh, uh, what a profound impact it's having on players and in so many different ways you know some guys that make some practice more um, some it's just a fitting thing. Some it's just a legitimate tool to make little adjustments. Uh, that's what's fascinating about it is it it it, it it's impacting players in many different ways. Is that where you you had it as an underrated? I presume by your yeah. Response. I think I think uh, it's underrated in this whole distance debate is the oh, yeah. the whole idea of like people figured out how to optimize the launch and everything. And I mean I. It's it's an interesting. You can never take that away, and that's that makes the ball needing to be rolled back all the more important. Yep, you, you you're not getting, you know you're not getting a disagreement from me on that. <laughs> all right, is uh is is width overrated or underrated? Uh, it's well, it's, it's certainly underrated if the design is uh one where you can use the width. Uh, so it's, it's misunderstood. But I, I, like I said, I, earlier in the show, I, the way the guys are able to, to, to control the ball with irons now to firm greens, it's, it's becoming, it's becoming very hard to, to, uh, to design in a way that uh, makes good use of the width and also how far they can hit a ball down a hole, you know, and they're not hitting, I mean, they're just not hitting long irons. So width is great when you also have a hole where they have a long iron and the smart guy can, Brian Gay can, or Webb Simpson can hit their little little cut hybrid from the left side because they wisely 
hit a nice little draw down the left to give themselves the best angle to that far right pin and be able to play with Dustin Johnson who hit her down the right side, but has a, has an eight iron, but a, a crappy angle. Um, but now if Dustin Johnson can hold that green, even when it's a little firm with the eight iron, um, the width becomes kind of, um, I don't yeah. want to say overrated, but it just be, it's just muted. It just becomes I think, nullified. I think the width, uh, I think the thing people focus on is like how wide it is. But like, I think what you hit on is for the variety of players, width is so important because oh, yeah. that width allows shorter guys a chance. And if it's narrow with thick rough, like, you know, everybody's going to miss fairways, you know? And yeah. it, width allows a, a shorter hitter who's a little bit more tactical, tact, tactical, and and accurate to really play a different style of golf and and use their strengths. Versus when it's when it's long and narrow, they just have no chance. No, so. no, especially when you read the co- the comments of guys like I mean, Finau and the, there was a Dot Wall Street Journal piece last yeah. week where he just you know bomb and gouge is back. It's just there is unless the rough is lost ball rough. It's just stupid for him to ever think about playing back when he can advance the ball and and have a sand sand wedge versus a six iron. Just doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah, I, and that's I not a good place to be for for uh, competitive golf. So, me. last one, a good caddy. Oh, definitely underrated. Um, you know, I mean, whether it's a recreational round. <laughs> <laughs> uh where where they just uh a good one just knows how to to knows when to speak and when not to for, and then uh, obviously on the tour just watching you know last week how important the caddy was because of course nobody apparently can play 18 holes anymore in practice um for whatever reason um, so the caddies were just so heavily relied on last week and uh you know, I don't know what Aaron Wise's caddy did for him. It may not have mattered the way he hit the ball, but there were certainly other guys who I guarantee you if you went back and talked to them about the, the effort their caddy made to uh, scope out the course on Monday and or even the year before, uh, it would be really interesting to hear where they can kind of now look back and go, well, he saved me a couple shots because he just said, do not go at that pin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um I would, I would love, you know, but that's kind of, that's going deep in the areas that, uh, and now of course, if you want to ask those questions of players and caddies, it's a uh, uh, top secret information that, <laughs> I mean, I try to follow up. Were you there when Billy Hurley was in talking about course stats? No. I'm Billy Hurley. What am I touching? Horschel. <laughs> Billy Horschel was in uh, and, and he started talking about his analysis and, you know, he's, turn that over to his caddy and his staff person. And I tried to ask a follow-up saying, so, and not, I just thought it was fascinating, but of course his, you know, he thinks I'm out to get him and, and uh, all that. I don't know why, but um, he, he uh, let it out there that he kind of touched around it, but they basically would look at the golf course after 36 holes and adjust their game plan based on some of the shot link data. And I think that's just, I just think that's fascinating. I, I, I mean, you imagine, players of the past would love to be able to do that. And he was like, I don't want to give anyone any secrets. <laughs> I like, I, I don't want your secrets. I just want to confirm. So you're going to, you know, there's a good chance you'll take that data. You guys will say, well, everybody driving the fifth green is, is uh, averaging 3.9. Whereas the guys laying up are 
are averaging 3.5. So why aren't we just laying up? Um, that kind of thing is that's cool. I think that's fascinating. And but most of the players don't ever want to talk about that. I want. I tried to do a story on that, and they just. I that's that's, that's sort of between me and my stack guy. Like it's a doctor uh, patient privilege situation. Like guys, you please calm down now. <laughs> these are not these are not uh, important matters. It's okay to, to. There are people who would find this interesting. It's it's you're not going to give away the secret sauce. I think you're missing the uh, most valuable caddy of Uh-oh. the weekend guy that beats up your competitor well <laughs> okay yeah now that's another that's another dynamic that uh you know a good caddy does he he uh, waits in the parking lot and sucker punches uh somebody maybe after a couple of drinks uh, maybe not i don't know allegedly it's all this is all alleged of course but um, for those not picking up, this is the uh, the odd story story of the Florida Midam this uh, this week. So hopefully more it's a details zany surface place down there in Florida. Yeah, yeah. as you put it, uh, you know the stream song Caddyshack must be an Ooh, interesting. Place. Wow, yeah, they're both they're both employed there, and uh, I think thankfully the the Caddyshack's a little quieter in the summertime, so maybe they're not there. Maybe they moved on to to cooler climates but yeah I, I i having worked in a caddy shack a little bit in my my uh, youth i uh, can imagine that that dynamic is um awkward yeah it's best. uh it, the good news is if you're playing a stream song they've got you the player in their best interest your, your yeah, friends, your yeah friends i don't know if you want to sucker worry. punch a resort guest i don't know if that's gonna work um for you allegedly allegedly um yeah so there were signs on the inside of his mouth of of uh of bleeding yeah concussion like symptoms trying i had to read the story twice though it's very confusing it kind of needs i mean it's not that ryan lavender didn't did a great job writing it it's just there's just uh there you got to know the names and it's a little tricky to follow but it's it's it is a it certainly is is uh, taking things to a different level. Yeah, we got to go to uh, our uh, our friend of the pod, Kyle, and sometimes co-host Kyle Nathan. He's gonna he's gonna give us the the dirt. Okay. He, he was on the ground. Okay. So, uh, but uh, hey, Jeff, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for the time. Always enjoy uh, enjoy the banter. And uh, for listeners, you can find Jeff at his website, jeffshackelford.com. Uh, writing also on Golf Week and on Morning Drive. You got anything exciting coming up? Well, yeah, um, I'm doing a couple things for Golf Week for our U.S. Open preview, kind of recapping the uh, 2004 debacle. And um, we are working on a feature for the coverage during the U.S. Open on that course setup thing and kind of the things that have come out of it that allow the USGA to basically not repeat what happened in that setup so um it, it, it was a zany event <laughs> you know I, I going back and reading all that so it's i think it's going to be interesting to uh to kind of rehash that and and you know what makes it interesting Andy, is that the last u.s open at shinnecock 2004 followed olympia fields where there was a sense the the the, the year before the course was pretty easy Mm-hmm. and the players kind of had their way with it and here we are again deja vu all over again there was that sense that aaron hills the players had their way with it and um we tightened some fairways at chinnecock apparently and now we're even maybe nudging a few of them out from from a couple of reports i got but the same dynamic 
exists that, that, that occurred last time. The difference is, you know, the USGA has uh, better stem meter readings, better weather forecasting, true firm to, to measure firmness, and then, of course, moisture readings to, to, to track all that. So they have no excuse, theoretically, but if oh. you've ever seen the seventh green at Shinnecock Hills, um, I don't know. I don't know what green speed that green works at. So it's got to be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's because uh, we don't have to play it. And we don't have to set it up. Yeah, <laughs> very true. We just watch. Yeah, that's the uh, nice thing about being a viewer. And uh, I forgot Shack House, you know, so. Yes, podcast. we got a um, couple of interesting guests possibly uh, coming up. So all U.S. Open preview related. So uh, I'm excited about that, too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. uh, thanks for coming on again. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, enjoyed the uh, enjoyed the chatting today and and last week and don't worry, it'll be firmer and faster next year. All right, hopefully. <laughs> You've been listening to the Fried Egg Podcast. We do the digging for you.